Open your Bibles, if you will. And uh, I'm going to preach a different type of a sermon. I, I, I like to preach just, just one truth. And just to give you a bit of homiletics, uh, the simplest sermon to me is a sermon that states the truth, illustrates the truth, and applicates the truth. And that is my goal and a typical sermon this morning. And I'm going to follow that outline. I am going to preach today on the last week of Jesus' ministry. The last week. You know, there were a lot of things that took place in eight or nine days. And uh, as I've been reading all of these events and all of the things that took place before the resurrection of Christ, it has caused me to appreciate Christ paying for my sins so much more. To realize all that he went through and then to realize in those days the corruption among leadership, among the religious, and yet Christ won. Christ always wins. And so today sometimes in a world of corruption, a world of deception, a world of frustration because we just don't know what to believe or who to believe. We can still believe that old book right there. And so I'm going to preach for a few minutes on the subject, the last week of Jesus' ministry. I'll use many verses from just the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'll tell you what they are. If you want to read them as long as I go through them, you can. And so hold your Bibles there. Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless the preaching of your word this morning. I ask, Lord, that you'd help my mind to concentrate and to be able to deliver the truth in a way that we can revisit, we can walk through some of the things that you went through to pay the price of our redemption. We are a blessed people this morning. And I pray, Lord, if there would be one here that's never received you as their Savior, they would recognize today just how much you love us and, Lord, how you want to be each and every one's Savior. Blessing power, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 19 not only states the purpose for which Christ came, as stated in verse number 10, for I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. Our text also tells us the beginning of the final week of ministry of the Lord Jesus along with his disciples. Jesus had healed the sick, he had raised the dead, he had fed the multitudes, he had touched the blinded eyes, he had touched the crippled limbs, the deaf ears, and the dumb uh, lips, and he had made them whole again. The crowds followed him by the multitudes. Throngs gathered around to hear what he would say and to see what he would do. But Jesus did not come to the earth to stay. He came to do a particular and a specific work in a sin-cursed world. He came to live a sinless life, and he did. He came to die on the cross, and he did. He came to raise again the third and glorious day, and he did. He came into a world filled with those that were born sinners. It was a world that had rejected the prophets and the messages of God. 
and the time of his final purpose, the time of the final week had come. It would be one of not only praise but slander. It would be one not only where they would follow him, many would reject him. It would be a love that would be mixed with many who loved him and many who expressed their hatred for him. It would be a week of truth, but it would be a week of turmoil. The last week of Jesus' earthly ministry began so different than the way it ended. The very ones who welcomed him as their king at the beginning of the week, the same ones were calling for his life and crying, crucify him. In Luke chapter 19 in our text verse, we find that he tells the disciples to go get a colt and the Bible says specifically where no man had set. Now, if you know anything about horses or uh, 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 donkeys or mules, uh, it's a difficult thing to break a horse or a colt. This is a young colt. No man had ever sat on it. Ah, but Jesus did. Uh, they put their clothes on the back uh, to make a blanket for the colt, and Jesus sat on that. Now the proud were disappointed because they wanted somebody coming in riding a white horse, and Jesus came in as a servant riding a donkey. Uh, he's coming back again, friend, and he's made an upgrade since he's been gone. And when he's coming back, he's coming back on those white horses. Hey, and you and I get to come with him. Jesus' popularity may have reached its peak as we come to this very place where the Lord Jesus comes riding in on that colt. Uh, they lay down the palm branches and they uh, praise him and they sing uh, praises to him. Oh, but dear friend, Jesus was different than what many portray him as today. It was not about the love and unity that many present him Jesus was about truth. Truth that was the greatest form of love that would tell a man he's lost in his sins and needs to be redeemed by a Savior. That's the truth he came to deliver. He came to deliver a truth that would unite those that would believe it. Matthew chapter 21, I'll read two verses from there where Jesus goes into the temple. He comes riding on this colt he makes his way into the temple and it's interesting the Bible tells us that he goes into the temple and he cast out them that sold and bought in corruption in the temple I'm going to pause to turn there Matthew 21 and I want you to notice it with me in verses 21 or verses 12 and 13 and Jesus went into the temple of God. Now we would expect this to be a place of holiness. We expect it to be a place of righteousness. We would expect it to be a place of honesty, would we not? Do we not expect church to be that? To be a place that's right and that's uh, forthright and forthcoming? But the Bible said, and cast out all them that sought uh, that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. You know what they would do? They would sell a lamb or, or, or sell an animal. Uh, they would take it back as if they were going to uh, give that as a sacrifice for their sin. They would bring that same animal back around and they would sell it again 
again and they would sell it again and sell it again and this man of love that was coming into town uh, that many portrayed just as a person of kindness and a person of love and a person that would never uh, take a stand that would hurt anybody he took those tables and he flipped them over took that old whip. He drove that crowd out of there. He said, this is supposed to be the house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. All of a sudden, things begin to change in attitude. And if you look at Mark chapter 11 and verse number 7, you'll find that this place was filled with corruption, a place that was supposed to be right and righteous. By the way, many today have said, I give up on, on this whole world. It's nothing but a bunch of corrupt things and corrupt behaviors. Can I tell you, this world's never been our home. This world has never been our hope. Jesus is our hope and heaven is our home. And we're just passing through. And that's exactly what Jesus proves uh, to us. The chief priests and the teachers, uh, they learned about this cleansing of the temple. You better know that they had their hands in the pot and they began talking and said, we got to get rid of this guy is going to cause us trouble we got to get rid of this guy is going to cause us trouble in Mark 11 17 and he taught saying unto them uh, is it not written my house should be called of all nations a house of prayer you've made it a den of thieves and the scribes and priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him for they feared him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. The self-righteous men then heard the children shouting and singing about how great Jesus was. Matthew chapter 21 and verse number 14, the Bible says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw uh, the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna! to the son of David they were sore displeased now they ought to have been glad but they were crooks that's what they were they were crooks and they were sore displeased and they said hearest thou what these say and Jesus saith unto them yea have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise thank God for the children that believed Jesus they had a simple faith and they didn't trust that crooked crowd but they did know that they could trust this man of Galilee they knew, did know that they could trust this Jesus in John chapter 12, we find the Greeks requested to see Jesus. And his reply is interesting. And what we're looking at are these different events that take place up to his crucifixion and up to his resurrection. And it reminds me so much of what's going on in our world today. Deception. When truth is given... Uh, there's a crowd that works to remove that truth or that truth speaker as soon as they can. Hey, I got news for them today. Uh, just like before, uh, Jesus conquered that crowd and Jesus is going to conquer again. But when he comes back the next time, he'll not come as a lamb, but he'll come as a lion of the tribe of Judah. And you and I need to be careful about listening to the majority and listening to the crowd. We better make sure our compass of life is this old book right here and have an understanding of what thus saith the Lord and Jesus answering them John chapter 12 saying the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified verily verily I say unto you now this is just before his crucifixion now just before Easter Sunday except a 
corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall you also, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. You know what Jesus was saying? I came to die that you might live. Now the message of, uh, is applied to us if we try to live our lives selfishly. That is a lonely life. But if we live our life in the will of God and we die to self and our life is hid with Christ and God, then we can be a blessing and a help to others in knowing Christ. And that, my friend, is a life worth living. Jesus is confronted again and again by the, don't miss it, religious leaders. It's not the crooks that are after Jesus. Hey, it's not the bootlegging crowd that's after Jesus. It's not the gambling crowd that's after Jesus. It's the religious crowd that's after Jesus. And in an illustration or picture of those that reject him as Jesus was going in, there was a fig tree there and it had no figs. It was religious, but it wasn't productive. Jesus cursed it as he went by. I didn't say he used the Father's name in vain. He cursed the tree. The next day it was withered. They knew he wasn't talking about that tree. They knew he was talking about that religious crowd. They knew Jesus had their number. Excuse me while I get excited to realize that I serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm excited to know I'm on the winning side. I'm glad to know it doesn't matter what the score is, doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I serve the King of Truth and I gladly follow Him even though there may be those that would criticize even of the religious crowd that Jesus came with the truth. They challenged Jesus and asked by what authority he did what he did. He said, let me ask you a question. I love how Jesus answered their questions with a question. He said, well, what about John's baptism? Was that of God or was that of men? Well, if they said of God, they would believe him. They said of men, they would get in trouble with the crowd. Jesus just left them hung with their question. This old book right here in truth messes up a whole lot of religion. It messes up a whole lot of spiritual theories. There are those today who, who, are, who think they're gaining control of the world and they're ridding Jesus and God out of every part of our life and out of every part of our culture. And they introduce week after week perversions and things that cause folks to behave sinfully and wickedly. But I have news for them just as, just as God was in control in the day in which we read of this morning God is in control today and as he was going there was a crowd that followed him that, that praised him and loved him and there was that crowd trying to figure out how are we going to get to this man and Jesus continues to tell stories all of this in the week before his crucifixion and resurrection and he quoted as I read from Matthew chapter 21 about the master that had uh, 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 the uh, sons that were disobedient and he knew that they were talking about them when he said when he told them the stone which the builders refused 
is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know what's wonderful is when you take a, a truth that's almost cliche. You and I say this often. We say, well, today the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. But it was connected to the last week of Jesus' ministry when they said, this is a fellow we got to get rid of. And Jesus said, well, the prophet said, they're going to try to get rid of him. Throw this stone away. He can't be used in the building. He said, it's not just a stone for the building. That's the chief cornerstone. And the day that Jesus proclaimed the truth of who he was to that crowd, that was the day that he declared the words, this is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And when you use that statement, that verse, or even in cliche, let it remind you of the fact that they were trying to get rid of Jesus, saying, you can't have a part in this. And Jesus said, I not only have a part, I'm the chief cornerstone. There's no doubt. And when they heard the teachings and even read the scriptures, they knew the truth, but their hearts were hardened. It's interesting. These scribes and Pharisees were people, they were the copying machines of that day. They knew every word. They knew where every jot and every tittle was, but their heart was hardened, just as many today who have decided what they're going to believe, regardless of what the Bible says. You be careful that you not let your heart be hardened and say, well, I'm looking for a church that, 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 that I can just be a part of that I agree with. I'm looking for a church that just preaches the truth. They told Billy Sunday, they said, you rub the fur on the cat the wrong way when you preach. He said, tell them to turn the cat around. We're not here today looking for a place that supports what we believe. We're here today looking for a place that preaches the truth to say, that's how I want to live. And that's what Jesus was saying. As the day of Jesus' crucifixion approached, Jesus went to Bethany and he visited the home of Simon the leper. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Bethany was a place that Jesus went where there were friends and there were folks who loved him. There came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of ointment a very precious ointment and poured it on his head, the Bible says, as he sat at meat. It was a time of fellowship. It was a time of encouragement. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now all this happened the last week of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus understood it. He said unto them, why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me have not always. For in that she poureth this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for memorial of her. I've preached sermons of all of these various stories. And I mean, I've preached them for years and years, 35 years. And then I look at all of the events that take place in the very last week of Jesus' ministry. Well, you're talking about a busy life. You're talking about an amazing work that was taking place. And then there's the story of Judas. One of his own. They figure out a way where they can catch him and where they can arrest him. 
I read from Matthew 26. Matthew 26 in the beginning, verses 2 through 5. Ye know that after two days is a feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests. Hey, these are supposed to be the preachers of truth. The priests come together. You better be careful about following religion. And the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Go down to verse number 14. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot, one of the very twelve, went unto the chief priest. He probably knew where they met. He'd probably been there before. And said unto them, what will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. Isn't it something how foolish men are to think they can deliver the very Son of God into the hands of wicked men? And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. All this going on in the last week of ministry. I can't wait to get till next Sunday morning to be able to sing up from the grave he arose. Ah, but Judas, he's just watching Jesus. He knows where he's going to be. He's connected to both crowds. He knows where he's going to be. He's looking for the opportunity that he can betray the Lord Jesus. Of course, Jesus had arranged preparations for the Passover ahead of time. And then at the Passover, reminded the disciples how important this particular Passover was. He said this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. In Luke 22 verse 14, And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. Think about this. Jesus is sitting with his twelve friends that he served and worked with. They're going to have the last supper And he said unto them with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. During the supper, Judas dismisses himself. He leaves and he leaves the eleven. The Bible says in John 13, 2, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments We're talking about Jesus and took a towel and girded himself with the eleven there and he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. One of the greatest examples of servitude given as Jesus washed the dirty feet of those disciples. Peter said, Lord, he said, "I, I can't let you do this. He said, if you don't let me, you won't have any part with me. Peter said, if that's the case then, just give me a bath. All of this happening in about midnight. Jesus is arrested and illegally tried. The Bible says, And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came with a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. And he betrayed him with a kiss. They took Jesus to a trial that was illegal. 
It was illegal because the reports were false and there were conflicting witnesses. Their lies were evident. Isn't it something today how you and I can see the lies of what's going on in our world? Isn't it something how they come up with a new list of sins? They can't do these things and the media presents them as once the old time preacher preached the Bible. But now the media says these are the sins. You can't commit these sins. Isn't it something and, and, and they create their own atmosphere just like that week in the time of Christ. You know what's exciting to me? No matter how powerful the people are, no matter how smart their deceptions are, Jesus whipped them every I'm glad I'm a child of the king this morning. I'm glad I have the truth of this book. It was illegal to have a trial at night. Not all the council was present, but he was falsely accused and he was charged of blasphemy. They thought they were dying. They thought they were killing him. Jesus knew he came to lay down his life. It didn't take three soldiers to wrestle his arm to the ground and hold his hand while a soldier took a spike and another uh, drove it. No, Jesus just put his hand out there. It didn't take his life. He gave his life. He gave his life for you. Every child, every boy and girl, every teenager, every man and woman, he died to pay our sin debt. They come up to Peter and they said, you're one of the 12, aren't you? Peter said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not with him. All, this, all of this happening in this final week, no, no, I'm not with him. Sure you are. Your speech betrayeth you. Your, your, your speech is like theirs. You know what Peter did? He changed his vocabulary. He began to curse and swear, trying to prove to them. You know why? He didn't want to be crucified even though he had said, I'll go with you all the way to death. Jesus said, Peter, I don't want you to die for me. I just want you to pray with me one hour. And may I say, if you're not willing to pray with him an hour, you dead sure won't be willing to die for him. All of these truths, all of these stories all happening. He was denied by his own disciples, betrayed by one of them, falsely accused by his nation, lied about in testimony, tried illegally at night, abandoned by the same people who had cried, Hosanna, that same crowd is now saying, crucify him. And they did. When they, when they crucified Jesus, by the way, when he hung on the cross in literal agony, he was mocked, he was ridiculed. They put a sign up to let everybody know who he was. It was a sign of mockery. Here's your king. In hell, Satan's having a party. Finally got him. What about it? They're mocking him. They're making fun. One soldier says, boy, I'd like to have that garment. I'd show everybody I got the garment of Jesus. Another said, no, I want it. Another said, no, I want it. I tell you what, let's do, let's, let's, let's gamble. We'll see who gets to win it. There he hung naked, beaten. Ridiculed, scorned, torn. He said, I thirst, and they gave him something impossible to drink. Vinegar mingled with gall. That's what they did to our Savior. Despite the fact the law said a person could either be beaten or crucified, but not both. 
The same crowd that made the law could care nothing for the law. Sounds pretty similar to today, doesn't it? Jesus endured both. Under Jewish law and Roman law, he was illegally tried, convicted, punished, beaten, and crucified. His body was placed in a borrowed tomb. <laughs> That's all he would need. I want to tell you three things Jesus does for us at salvation. Let me show you an illustration. Joel, stand right here. Lay your Bible right here. Joel, this book right here is a list of your sins. That's what our sins. In fact, that's through age seven. That's eight to 12. Let me have one for his teenage years. I better take two for his teenage years. And your sins are being recorded in heaven just like yours and mine. Every thought that was sinful, every deed, every one. When Jesus died, rose again for our sins, he did three things for us. First of all, he took the sins away and he bore them in his own body on the tree. He paid for them. Now, he had no sins to pay for. He paid for his sins. Now, here's the second thing he did. According to Psalm 32 and verse number 2, confirmed again in Romans chapter 4, verse number 6, folks ask the question, what if I sin again? And I say, there is no what if. But here's the second thing Jesus does. He will never impute iniquity to your account anymore. That's what the psalmist said. When he sins, don't write it down because I paid for them on the cross of Calvary. Amen. But he did one more thing. Not only did he take away his sins, and they were many. Not only did he say, don't ever impute or record another sin since he's received me as his Savior. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21, God said, not only have your sins been taken away, not only will your sins never be recorded again, I want to give you my righteousness. You don't have any of your own. And to get to heaven, you have to be righteous. Now, some folks are confused. They think, i got to have more righteousness than sins, and it's all up to me, and you're just wondering... You have to stand before the judge and see how... That's not what the Bible says. The Bible said he took my sins and he put them in the sea of forgetfulness, the deepest part of the sea, never be remembered again. Number two, he does not ever impute iniquity to our account again. And number three, because we have no righteousness of our own, he gives us his righteousness. And Isaiah said, he hath given to me the garments... Of salvation. Amen. Yesterday I stood right here. Lewis stood right here. He was shaking. He was sweating. He was nervous. There was a certain time he kept asking me. I said you don't have to remember anything. I'll tell you what to do. Wedding party came in. Everybody came in. Looked nice. 
All of a sudden, the music stopped and the doors closed. And I said, all rise, please. I said, Lewis, you can go down now. He walked down here and he stood right there and then that door opened and they started playing that bridal march. He went from shaking to dancing. Boy, he was excited. <laughs> and I don't blame him because, dear friend, that gal came in and she had on that beautiful wedding gown. It reminded me of what Jesus does for me at salvation. He took the garments of salvation. I'm not going to heaven because I'm good. I'm going to heaven because he's righteous and he gave me his righteousness. Stand with me. I'm out of time. I'm way out of time. Stand with me. All of these happened. All of these events happened before he arose. Thank God today we can rejoice. I serve a risen Savior. You're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior. This very day you ought to trust Christ as your Savior. You've been saved and not baptized. You need to be obedient to Christ and believers' baptism, professing your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're not right with God today. You ought to have a warm spirit. You ought to draw nigh to God today, and he'll draw nigh to you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the preaching of your word. I'm amazed. In fact, I'm overwhelmed at your loving goodness and all that you went through, all that you did, even being betrayed by your very own, you still loved us. You took away our sin. No longer do you impute iniquity to our account and you've given us your righteousness. I pray that today if there's one that's not saved, they would trust you as their Savior today. In Jesus' name, amen.